0: hi everybody and welcome to another edition of two brain radio with sean woodland on today's episode i talk with the man who finished 15th at the crossfit games last year and won the first ever mayhem classic chandler smith first over the last months i've interviewed some truly amazing guests stacy tovar tanya wagner adrian bosman chris hinshaw Rory McKernan, Julie Fouché, and more. If you've missed out on this stuff, check out our archives for the best stories from the fitness community. And to avoid FOMO, please subscribe to Two Brain Radio. I've got a great guest coming every single week. Chandler Smith is an up-and-coming CrossFit competitor, a West Point graduate, and is currently a captain in the United States Army. He made his CrossFit Games debut last year and qualified for the 2020 Games thanks to his performance in the Open. We talk about why he wanted to become a soldier and his time at West Point, his competitive debut at the Atlantic Regional in 2016, and what it meant to him to make the Games three years earlier than he had planned. Thanks for listening, everyone. Chandler, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing phenomenal. I'm
1: honored to be on the Two Brain podcast um, because I think this implies that I have a full working and functional brain. Um, so either you're operating at 1.5 and you decide to bring me on as like a parade of the halves that you bring in to match which with you or whatever, but I'm just glad to be here. So thanks
0: for having me. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, you are definitely the brains of the, uh, of the duo going on right here. Uh, a lot of people might not know that your father played in the National Football League. So as a kid, what was it like growing up with a professional football player as a dad?
1: Um, well, first off, I thought you were going to go the, the CTE route and mention that my dad probably has half of a working brain at this point. <laughs> And I was going to laugh really hard, but instead I had to make that joke on my own. Um, it was definitely, uh, it's a big shadow to live under, you know, um, for professional, professional sports at that level, like within the, the big four are pretty all-consuming and offers you a lot of amenities that... Maybe skewer your uh, perception of what normal work relations are like or uh, like time expectations or a lot of things. Um, so I felt, I always felt that there was pressure between me and the other coaches' kids to uh, that we were like also needed to play in the NFL. So when I um, started topping out on height in ninth grade at a at a meaty 5'5, I was uh, pretty <laughs> worried. I had my first crisis of confidence there. So I was like, I don't think. I don't big enough to make the NFL. So I got to find out another plan. Cause I think that was probably my main job plan as it is with most kids. But th- my, that dream was allowed to exist in my head for a little bit longer than it was with most people because my dad did it. So it yeah. couldn't be that hard. right?
0: What kind of things did you do as a kid that just seemed normal to you that were probably like inconceivable to other kids your age?
1: Uh, so <laughs> when you say it, the first thing I think of is I got to ball boy for the Denver Broncos training camp. Um, pretty much every year as I was starting to get older. And I remember one year uh, Jerry Rice came and did the he came and was going to play. He ended up not deciding not to play that year, but I was like his personal ball boy. Right. So Jerry Rice and I had a secret handshake. Um, I'm making jokes with, you know, like Jake Plummer and all these guys that my all, the, all my friends at school are watching these dudes and they got their jerseys and everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Jake. Like he always does this like he likes to make these jokes. Jake Plummer for, for talking jokes. Sorry, Jake. I know you're probably living a nice, peaceful, retired life. You're not – doesn't even know who I am, I'm sure, at this point. But he would do this dinosaur thing, right, where he'd take a towel and he'd put the towel between his legs, butt naked, uh, and then he'd walk around, and, like, scaring people. Um, and I thought that was hilarious because, like, you know, I'm ball boy and they're, like – they're, you know, doing locker room things. I just, like, happened to walk in, and I remember seeing that. So, like I say, rubbing elbows with professional athletes. But I think it also put a pretty distorted – View of what was normal in regards to the physical realm. So my my dad, being a strength coach, I saw regularly saw dudes squat over you know 500 pounds for reps. I see these guys who are some of the most explosive people on planet Earth running three cone drills. And it's not I'm not trying to compare myself to Roger Bannister, but I know when he set the four minute mile, right? Like a bunch of people after him were able to do it because they realized that it was possible. So I think my view of what was possible athletically was not limited by being around it was, it was enhanced because I was around some of the best athletes on earth from a very early age. So I always had very high expectations. Like when I graduated high school, I needed to be this strong and this strong. I was comparing myself to the high schoolers was comparing myself to the NFL athletes that I'd been seeing work out for so long.
0: What sports did you end up playing growing up? I played football growing up. That was like my main one,
1: uh, through middle high school. I ran track because my dad wanted me to be fast. Unfortunately, I only got the slow twitch muscles, which ended up being a blessing later, but it wasn't good for football. It's good for but not so good for football. And then in high school, um, I tried out for the basketball team and because uh, I played some like B team basketball in middle school, again, the height thing was kind of a big limiter. Uh, you know, people, a lot of folks told me, I reminded them of, of Michael, uh, not Jordan, but there was another kid on my team named Michael and it was really bad and <laughs> I, I reminded them of him. Uh, and uh, I tried out for the basketball team my freshman year at Rockhurst and it was readily apparent that I was not going to make the team. And so I uh, didn't allow myself to be cut, but I cut myself in a way. And then I asked about wrestling and um, so it began probably, that was probably the best decision I ever made as far as just putting myself in a place to be surrounded by people who really knew uh, what it was like to work hard, who were willing to invest a lot of time and energy into me as a person and as an athlete, and then just a sport that suited me, for
0: uh my physiology. What was it about wrestling that stuck with you?
1: <sighs> I think there's a lot of, you hear stories about a lot of uh like really high level athletes where it seems like they're coasting by on talent or because of the nature of their physiology like I was never going to play in the NBA cuz I'm not 6 foot 7. So there's probably some 6 foot 7 guys out there who maybe don't work crazy hard but because of the fact that they're six foot seven they could jump through the roof like there there's a team that's going to be willing to sign them right but for wrestling um there's so much technique to be learned it's and uh there's a big requirement as far as being able to physically express that technique like how in shape you have to be and how strong you have to be to apply some of these moves um that you have to be pretty holistic and well-rounded and you can work your way out in these areas so even though i started and i was never like a great technician but i learned a bunch of moves and I get, there's a bunch of moves I can teach at a very high level. Now, when I go to my local jujitsu gym, I can, I can help out these areas. So I can learn the technical part, uh, the conditioning. If you ran your, ran extra span, or so you woke up early and ran, your conditioning would improve. If you lifted weights, you could get stronger and you were fighting within your weight class. So you weren't, your physique, you were like, it was a level field, um, as far as what you were bringing to the table, like height and weight wise. So, um, you were never really at disadvantage if you decided to work hard enough on those
0: three areas. At what point did you start thinking about joining the Army? All right. So when I was six, I uh, asked – we had a book
1: exchange at my school in Arizona. And um, I asked for a book about war because I probably had read something about it that week or, you know, six-year-olds are. just Whatever pops in their head. And uh, I got a book on war that was – horrific graphic like just not something meant for kids at all but someone's parents went really all in <laughs> it was a two-volume book i wish i still had a copy of it it's, it just had war on the front and the first half was world war one and they had like orange pages and uh or like orange coloring on the top and bottom of the pages and the second half was world war Two. had deaths of uh, people in like passion bell like the trenches bodies riding all this stuff i was fascinated i was like this is super cool and there was something in there about uh general blackjack pershing and how he was a 88 grad of west point and that was the first time i remember thinking like i want to do this and after i would finished reading the book i was like i want to be a soldier didn't really know the specifics of it uh troy calhoun had worked for the broncos for a point in time and then became the air force uh head coach and he was like a family friend so that kind of made me more interested but then when i began wrestling my freshman year our assistant head coach was a guy named Nage Damus, and he had been a former west point um wrestling captain and you wrestle in the army for a bit and our team captain at the time, uh, current U S army captain Douglas McFarland was heading to West point to play football. And both of those guys, uh, beat me up in a way that somehow made me like them. And, uh, then I decided I wanted to do that. That's a really confusing. I don't know how I arrived from them. They pushed me. Coach Davis made me run and condition more than anybody in my life had to that point and pretty close to since. And then Doug was, um, way bigger. He was a heavyweight and he would beat up on everybody, but somehow them being those dominant physical forces convinced me. Maybe I thought if I went to West Point, it'd be cool, but that kind of set things in motion. And then it was uh, my junior year as I was getting closer to applying, it was on the cover of Forbes for being uh, America's best public university. And that kind of sealed the deal. So a lot of things had kind of been drawing me towards going to West Point and then obviously the subsequent pursuing a career in the army, but things kind of lined up really nicely as far as mentors being exposed to it at an early age and uh, also like wanting to prove myself in some sort of way that I could be a successful person and West Point showing itself to be a place where successful people mm-hmm. attended school.
0: What is it like going through that extremely extensive and grueling application process?
1: Oof, I owe my mom so much for, uh, for helping me through that because it, it's a lot for a 17 year old kid to go through, you have to um, get a recommendation from your senator, there's multiple letters of recommendation that you have to collect. And these, these are processes that you know, as adults, when you're getting ready to apply for a job, you're familiar with it now. But it was a first time experience for me at that point, got to collect recommendations, you have to take a physical, like a physical assessment, Um, numerous essays, short answers, all this other jazz that goes into your account. And then also, too, you have to build a uh, build a profile outside of what it is that you're doing specifically like to show that you are someone who's capable of being a leader at West Point and then also um, in, in the Army once you are completing your time there. So it was a lot. And I don't think I would have come anywhere close to getting it done without my mom saying, hey, you should probably, you know, do this. You should probably help out here. This will look good on this. Because I obviously never applied to college at that point. So I didn't know what was going to look good on that. And she really when I told her that was something I wanted to do, she was like, okay, I'm going to help you here. I took, well, she signed me up for ACT prep classes. I did very well on the test, but I did not go to those classes with my buddy Sean's house and play video games. But she put me <laughs> in position to be very successful for it. Um, and that's the main reason why I got in. Yeah. So thanks, Mom.
0: How does your life change when you step on that campus day one and you are now a cadet?
1: <sighs> I don't
0: think it's something that you feel at at that point in time, but
1: looking back on it, it is a, it's a very daunting thing to be moving into because you come into the military, everyone has all these accolades you've, you've read and you watch the news and you see all these people who have come through this institution or are part of the military or the army in general, and they've done such great things, but they all started at that same point. So it's, you have infinity in front of you, infinite options to go. Like maybe I wanted to be a like a cyber guy maybe i wanted to be a green beret whatever it was all those options were laid ahead of you it was just a matter of working hard enough to put yourself in position there so it's a uh given how big the army is and that that you can really do anything because it's a, a meritocracy at some level or it's closer to it than most organizations it was um i didn't realize how much opportunity was there but i definitely realize it now and you felt the weight of it, but you didn't understand. It was like I don't know why this is so important, but it's it is because X percentage of generals are coming from us. Like they're not just building good cadets; they're building good platoon leaders or good uh, company commanders who are expected to make the right decision in very difficult times. Like you know, potentially you're going to be trading lives for lives at some point, or you're going to be deciding if uh, this guy gets to stay in the army or if this this gal is going to get promoted at a certain time. Like you're your decision-making abilities are going to affect the second and third order effects are gonna affect hundreds, potentially thousands, potentially millions of people. So, um, and it's all, it all starts with, can you make it through cadet basic training? And then are you going to be uh, a good enough cadet to put yourself in a position to succeed at the next point and at the next point, at the next point.
0: The academic part of that is difficult enough. You mix wrestling into that as well. How did you manage to balance both of those and stay successful?
1: Oh, well, that implies that I was successful. Um, so <laughs> that's where that's where you're wrong. I uh, definitely did a little too much wrestling and too many burpees. Probably should have done more school, especially if I uh, decide to get out at some point and like want to apply for grad school. My GPA was good enough. You, you're always being ranked um, mm-hmm. against your class members at West point, And you have – there's an academic they've, – they've changed a little bit. My brother's a junior. They're now. It's a di- different system now. When I was there – Um, You have your academic ranking, you have your physical ranking, you have your military ranking. Those are all weighted differently. Academic being the heaviest, military, I think, next and physical performance. But you're ranked one to, I think, 992. You get a number every semester and it tells you where you're at, in relation to everybody else, and how well your ranking is, like determining what branch you get to go to. So if I wanted to be an aviator or a, a finance officer, both those kind of go out early. So if you have a high class rank, you can get those. And if you don't, I'm not going to say anything bad about any other branches. But people know what branches go out last. Um, actually, wait, this is not a military. If like field artillery, armor, the branch I went, I was not lowly ranked, but th- those go out late. And then also they determine where you get to go for your first assignment. So if you have, if you worked with the art school, then you can go to Italy. Or if you didn't, then you're probably going to the also equally lovely Fort Polk, Louisiana. Um, so. It, it weighed on you pretty heavily. And I like tried to balance it all, but I definitely, especially I walked onto the wrestling team. Um, and, but by my sophomore year, I think most of my identity as a cadet was rooted in the West in the wrestling team. So my grades did not really, I, I did well. Um, I did better than my brother. That's important. <laughs> He's going to graduate with a worse GPA than I did. He doesn't have an excuse for wrestling. So more, most importantly, I beat my brother and, or am on track to beat him, and I did well enough to pick the place. I picked Colorado, ended up going to Kansas, but got my branch that I wanted and then got my post that I wanted, so did well enough How did balancing that,
0: it. How did that whole experience change you as a person? I think it really just taught
1: me how much I was capable of while also simultaneously – it's an element double thing. It taught me how much I was un, incapable of and also how much I was capable of. Incapable in that I was surrounded by people who were so much smarter than me, other cadets or uh, professors who had were just so squared away militarily or so proficient at their jobs that uh, they set standards that even then, like even knowing that I could work really hard, I had the capacity to work really hard, I knew I could never, I wasn't going to be as smart as some of these people and I wasn't going to be as uh, tactically proficient as some of these other folks. They lived and breathed it and they, you know, just got an understanding for it, had an understanding for it that I didn't. But also I learned that I could function on not a ton of sleep. I could simultaneously study hard, maintain one or two personal relationships. Really not that many, but I guess the team <laughs> counts. So like do do a few things um, that were way harder than what I expected to, especially during wrestling season when I was cutting weight and then still attending classes, uh, fighting to stay awake, running on very little sleep, working out for – four to six hours a day between the weight cut sessions and lifting weights and then wrestling practice. Uh, and then still studying, like I was capable of, a, if you would have told me that I was doing all that stuff, you would ask me to do that stuff now. I don't think I could, but in the right situation I was capable of it. So even though I don't, I wouldn't love to operate at that level of stress. I know that I can do it. So then I think the design of this is, so when you are under situations of extreme pressure, like you have to make a, um, uh, a snap decision or, uh, you're, under a time crunch in a in a combat situation or something more serious than turning in a paper like you have at west point you you're used to that amount of stress and you're able to react appropriately and not have it overwhelm you
0: how did you find crossfit
1: uh so it was in preparation for west point i think it was my junior year of high school wrestling i uh or had just finished took six in the state of missouri because i'm Big, big trash and was never good enough to win a state championship even my senior year. And I was like looking for ways to train for West Point, So I was getting ready to go to a, uh, what they call the summer leader, summer leadership experiences for rising seniors. You go to West Point, they show you all the cool parts. They don't tell you about the homework, but you're like, oh, cool. I'm going to shoot guns and run around all the time. Not the case. But anyways, I was getting ready to do that. And I was looking for training and somehow on the Google machine, I came across CrossFit and Spencer Hindel at like Sanctionals 2010. Ripping off massive, like 170 pound snatches or whatever was big at the time. And I was like, this is cool. Like, I want to do this. So I got more into it. I like did some, a few wads, mixed it in with my normal programming of doing a lot of crunches and hoping that girls in the pool would look at me. And um, my junior year or my senior year of wrestling, I started like actually mixing it in because I was very intent on winning a state title, which again, that was big fat failure and did not get that done. <laughs> but after that was complete, I had found that I liked how I was training. I thought I was in pretty good shape. So I went to the local 24-hour fitness after, like, this is February 2011. So I've been dabbling for a while. And there was a guy at the gym named Ronnie Oswald, and he was getting ready to open up one of the earliest gyms in Kansas City, CrossFit Sky's Limit. And he was like, hey, shouldn't be telling you this because I won't get fired. But you look like you're trying to do CrossFit, only you're terrible. It looks like a very a version of it. Like if I was blind and I was trying to describe how CrossFit worked to someone who was also, blind. I was like, all right, get it, I'm back, got it. But uh, he was like, if you help me build this gym, I'll let you come for free. And I was like, I don't really care about anything, but you said free, so I'm very interested. So I helped him build Skies, he set out the horse mats and put the bars up and all that jazz. And um, I did that until I left for West Point in June. So from like March to June, I was uh, throwing down over there. And at that point, I was already kind of hooked because mm. I uh, was in pretty, pretty good shape going in. I felt that like that was my advantage, so I just stayed up with it after that
0: when did you decide that you know what i can actually be a pretty good competitor at this so
1: it's actually this moves the story moves along very good uh chronologically i did after i came after cadet basic training i came back and we did uh 31 heroes and it was kind of framed as a competition and we went we did pretty well And i've always been in like decent shape in high school i was competing against adults and i was like oh i'm decent competitive and some of these guys were sectionals, levels, athletes. I think I might have said sanctionals, but whatever. The the, OGs, no, I meant sectionals. uh, Sectionals, Sectionals, Um, Some of these guys are like sectionals, levels, competitors, regionals, level folks. And I was like, oh, all right, I can kind of hang. And um, then that December, I did a competition with uh, the Army CrossFit team. And uh, at that, Dan Taminski was there, a couple other Northeast regional guys that were, you know, real legit were there, and I made it to the final eight and i didn't know how to do i think i did not do like a kettlebell swing so i got cut but whatever um at that point i was like huh i'm like definitely competitive and then i watched the games in the summer of 2012 and that's where i came up with this games 2022 thing i was like if i give myself a decade the army you can kind of look at your career timeline and assume like when you're gonna be in positions of uh like a little more free time and positions without free time and i said i think by 2022 i'll be done with command and all this jazz like that gives me enough time 10 years gives me enough time to train um and get myself ready to make the games by then so that's my goal and I said I wrote it down and I uh did a really bad photoshop that's still the background of my phone it says games 2022 because it's 2012 but I just copied the two pasted it over the one <laughs> like a like a genius one of the one of the greatest accomplishments I have had to this day to be honest making that photoshop and uh I said I was going to do it so kind of started orienting all my free time around it. And when I say all my free time, I mean like all of my free time because I have a very obsessive personality and a lot of uh, repressed sadness about not making it to the NFL. So I thought this is my chance to be a professional athlete. I'm getting the second shot because Lord knows I was not going to make it for wrestling.
0: <laughs> Four years later, after you do that, you're at regionals. Yes, sir. What were your expectations going into that competition?
1: Wow. Uh, this will sound like some really defeatist and not tough guy stuff, but I was just going to have a good time. Because mm-hmm. um, the whole plan that year, I was training out of CrossFit 215, which had been my gym and kind of second home my entire time at West Point. Because getting back to Kansas mm-hmm. is pretty hard. So I spent pretty much all my weekends out there. And uh, we were trying to send a team to regionals. And we're, we were, I was driving down and doing all the workouts with them. I'd graduated from West Point, but I was back coaching wrestling for a semester. And I was just making a bunch of time out. I thought we were going to be able to make it as a team. And um, after somewhere halfway through 16.1, I realized that we were not going to make it as a team. And um, I just so happened to qualify. I thought I'd lucked out because there was two workers that year. And I didn't know a whole lot of CrossFit. I moved terribly. I still moved terribly, but I also moved terribly then. And uh, I thought I just kind of lucked out into it. So I was like, we'll just go there and have a good time. I me. I finished ninth in our region, and it was his first year of the super regional. Just if you put them all together, I was expected to take like fifteenth or something. So that'd be cool. Like that'd be nice to go there and take fifteenth. So we'll show up and see what happens.
0: Hey guys, before we go any further with Chandler Smith, I wanted to ask you a question. Remember when pictures of bloody hands and vomit attracted clients to your gym? Well, that stopped working in about 2011 or so. It's also not enough to be a great coach or programmer. The key to success in 2020 is building a personal relationship with each client, then helping that client's friends and family. Total ad spend on that, nothing. The average gym owner can also add $45,000 a year in revenue just by keeping each client a few months longer. Two Brain's new affinity marketing and retention guides will give you everything you need to know. You can get both, and 13 other guides and books for free. Visit 2brainbusiness.com slash free dash tools. And now, more with Chandler Smith. After you take ninth, what did you think about your chances moving forward of making it to the games?
1: I didn't think this, because I was in a very, very good position um, as far as like coaching and then having access to a competitive gym. And uh, I thought not, I thought, platoon leader time. I was heading into platoon leader time. I was going to be moving to Fort Riley shortly thereafter. And I uh, was going to lose my training partner, Luke Conan. I had a nice spot a requisite. Like a lot of things were, I thought had been set up nicely for me to make it there that time. So um, I was like, oh, maybe I'll make it again in a couple of years, but probably we not be able to make it um, for the next few years. And Games 2022 is still the goal. So I uh, didn't think anything had really changed. I just thought I'd had a good year, but I was still, I still held these competitors who beat me to such a level where I thought I couldn't really achieve what they
0: achieved. You had a freak accident, I think, in 2017. What exactly happened to your hand?
1: Uh, I always like to tell the children that it was a freak nail-biting accident.
0: (laughs) If you're a kid and you're listening,
1: don't bite your nails. But if you're not a kid, um, we were coming back in from a field exercise. at This time I'm a tank platoon leader out at that one eighteen infantry at first Port Rally and um we're coming back from a field exercise and part of that field exercise is gonna clean off the tanks and one of the guys is kinda rushing through cleaning off the tanks and so he knocks off a side screw of the tank which is a texas wheels. Big heavy Johns, like probably half a ton and um but all of our recovery assets, the things that would normally help you move such a heavy piece of metal protection, um, are still out in the field. So it's the idea starts somewhere. I don't want to be throwing names around, but the idea starts <laughs> somewhere. Pick it up and load it onto the Humvee. And I just got out there to uh, get yelled at because we've messed. And if the guys mess up, then if I'm in charge, I have also messed up. And um, so we're, I'm helping the guys move this thing. And there's a few of us picking up the piece that I'm on. And we pick it up, and it like hinges like a book closing. And we're like okay we're not gonna be able to pick it up if the hinge is like a book closing because then this big heavy piece um that would be the part of the book that's coming over the top is like hanging in the air so i say, hey we gotta flip it over which is also stupid <laughs> they're flipping this over was not gonna work either but so we gotta flip it over to make the hinge work with us and so while i'm explaining this to uh some of the other guys in the unit and they all step back to take some time to listen because I mean, anytime, anytime you get a chance to hear me speak, it's it's magical and they're just appreciating the moment, you know, <laughs> beautiful winter day out in the middle of Kansas. And so I go to help Low bring it back down so we can bring in the flip. And as I'm bringing it down, we had five guys bring it up, but only two guys brought it down. I am one of the two guys. And the other guy's like, man, this is a lot heavier with two people. He's right. And he <laughs> says, but Lieutenant Smith, he deadlifts a ton. I saw the video. He's really strong. So. He can probably just deadlift it on his own. So I'm just going to let go and let him have it. So he gets gets out of dodge. But he doesn't, doesn't tell me that he's getting out of dodge. So it becomes a Chandler problem. And so it comes down. My deadlift skills fail me. And I'm like, oh, man, what a stinger. Ouch. Yoinks. And uh, I look, I'll never forget looking at my glove. And it was like a black glove. It was a glove I had from school. I looked at the glove. And like, because it had taken the piece of the glove with my finger, the gloves like is missing some you know, you shake your hand like, ah, yikes. Yeah. Ah and you're like, Man, it's really stings. And I look at it, and I'm like, There's no part of that glove, which is such a ridiculous thing because my finger is where that and as as I'm doing them, I'm like, Oh ah, uh, <laughs> and I look at it and I already know, but I like let's just take it off to check. And so I like pull it off and it's hard to pull off because it's all intertwined with my bone at that point And all that jazz, I pull it off. And um, fun facts for anybody who's ever wondered what it would look like if you lost a digit, blood does not shoot out a lot like movies. It like pours out, like you're pouring a glass of water. So like blood just starts falling on my hand. And then um, it, the stories are rated from there, but it wasn't a good time.
0: What, when that happened, I mean I'm sure there's a lot going through your head, but it, as far as your CrossFit career was concerned, what were you thinking at that time?
1: i thought it was super over um because i assumed you know like that you needed all your hands and stuff for grip which is a good assumption it was also the first full day of the 2017 open i'd done 17.1 that night uh the night it got announced chasing brent i think it was brent and pat and which is cool now because i'm decent enough friends with both those guys wow to think about but uh, i was like the first full day of the open and i was already planning my retest for saturday my retest for monday and all this other jazz and I was like, man, it's over. It's all over. And I didn't have uh, really any experience to know anything else. I hadn't off the game, but I had had a similar injury in the sport and, uh, yeah, thought I was toast. So very bummed for the next couple months. Cause I'd also broken a few bones to where I couldn't really sustain any like contact. So I was just running a bunch and squatting kind of like I'm doing now. And, uh, didn't really think I was going to be able to do much
0: when you were completely healed from that how did that affect your training moving forward
1: so i think i was probably healed up like july that happened february 27 2017 i was getting healed up in july i went to training think tank to uh train with noah and travis for the first time i don't remember how i would made that oh i was friends with Noah. not not how i'd, I'd already I went out, gone out to see him the year before and um went down to train. I got smoked. I don't know if I want to work out all weekend, but at least I was like starting to get back in shape. Um, and I was like, there's some things I can do pretty well. And maybe like if I work a bunch of grip and everything, and then it had happened that I was getting ready. My unit was getting ready to deploy to Europe as part of Operation Atlantic Resolve, which is this continuous U.S. presence in Europe to deter Russian aggression. Sorry, Krinikov. And um, we were <laughs> heading to Bulgaria to do our mission out there. And so we weren't gonna have a bunch of equipment, especially for when we first got to Europe, we were in Poland for a little bit. And I said, well, I'm gonna get like some kettlebells and some other things and I'll at least work on grip. And um, I was told from one of my classmates that there was a rower in Bulgaria. So I was like, I'll work my grip, I'll row a bunch. And then maybe when I come back, I'll patch up those weaknesses and we'll we'll get better. And uh, I got out there and was, stopped doing the think tank things. It was difficult to meet all the pieces with work, but I started doing Misfit and it was, Getting feedback from all that OG Mr. Crew like Jordan Cook and Travis and all these guys, and I was losing, but I was closing the gap a little bit each week and getting a little bit better. And I was like, "Huh, well, maybe I'm gonna be all right." And I think uh, confidence started to go up from there. Over the time I was in Europe, I actually missed regionals in 2018. I was in my scores were I think I was like a third guy out worldwide, and it was the only region I didn't make it in was being out in Bulgaria. But that made me even uh, even hungrier and kind of. Made me realize that actually I, I was pretty close at least to being a regionals level athlete again so that was where my expectation was
0: at. you come back in 2019 to the us and then you take 40th overall in the open now, it wasn't good enough to qualify you for the games but i mean that's a hell of a result what did you what did that do for your confidence
1: that so that's when it started uh that that definitely drove it up a lot i had done dubai as a team in 2018 with uh travis andrea Nisler, taylor williamson we took second so we were spotless qualifying and i did wadapalooza with jordan cook kenzie riley and china Cho. we took third but one of the teams already qualified so we were responded for qualifying and so i was already like pretty hungry also my life was in shambles and anything else going on besides fitness so that that makes for a good training environment too um and then i moved to fort Benning, where i was doing the maneuver captain's career course so i had a little bit more time than i'd had at fort riley and uh all these things like knowing that i had a little bit more resources knowing that i was Capable of being at least like a games level team athlete, that all kind of had begun to build my confidence. So I I attacked the open a little bit differently than I had in years past. Like I wasn't viewing myself as someone who was not good enough to be performing with these guys. I was like, I kind of think I belong, and having that flip mindset allowed me to perform like someone who belonged. I think it really set the stage for. uh, I guess I only did one sanctional, but for the sanctional that I ended up doing that year, I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought I could hang it rogue rogue if I hadn't um, already hung and traded workouts with some very, very good guys over the course of the 2019 open.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the rogue invitational and that is a loaded field. What were your expectations when you showed up in Columbus? (sighs)
1: Um, I like was hoping I was going to be in the mix, but I didn't really think um, I didn't think I was going to get the spot. Like I thought I was going to be close, but I'd had a couple of close calls before, like being the first guy out in regionals. at some point, like if you're a, a little bit of a negative person which i can tend to be when i'm not at my best you uh you expect bad things to happen i said well we were spot away at the last two ones i was a few spots i think i was like five spots out from qualifying from the open didn't make regionals the year before a few spots i was like i'm probably going to come close and then not do well but uh, my training going into that was awesome awesome so i did have a lot of confidence in my own physical abilities i so just figured that like i didn't give my abilities enough credit and i thought the situation was going to be enough to overcome the fact that i was Hanging out with my buds every day, we were really getting after it, and I had like good sleep and like like life was supporting being good at fitness for the first time in a while.
0: How are you feeling then after that, where it's all said and done, you're in fifth place, and not only are you in fifth, but you now have the invite to go to the CrossFit Games three years ahead of your goal.
1: That's a that that made me smile super big this year. That um, it felt really really good because it was a goal realized. But then um, after. After a goals realized, you know you only you end up setting setting new ones, so that um, didn't really allow that to last too long. And it was a pretty quick turnaround because I think it was mid May, and the games were in July. So I just continued to uh, to try and orient my life around um, being ready to go and perform well at the games. I uh, the Army Fitness Team was something a concept I'd heard about when I was still at uh, Fort Riley in two thousand eighteen, like September, and I didn't think it was going to come through because again my mentality was just decently negative at that uh, that point in time but it was starting to uh settle down and um it looked like it was something that was actually going to happen so I was building up some confidence that not only was I going to be able to go and give a good effort at that point in time but I was also going to be able to set conditions to perform better in the future which gave me even more confidence to, like really buy in you know like knowing that it's, I wasn't just going to do it this year and then some situation was going to occur next year that was going to keep me from training. I uh, I fully believe that I was going to go, if I went all in on the games, not only would it help me for the 2019 games, but it also set the stage for me to make it in 2020. And then, you know, I'm still hoping to do some things in 2022. So that's looking a little bit further ahead, but uh, really just bought, went all in and think I got the result I earned at the games and I was really grateful for it.
0: Yeah, you finished 15th uh, at the games. What stands out to you about the way you performed under that, brand new structure
1: man that structure that structure is definitely something that stresses uh the athletes out and even though i've uh i think i've been in situations of help prepare me to deal with stress i was still pretty high strung the whole weekend but i didn't let it affect my performances i did a good job of clearing my head and dealing with the uh the highs and lows of the weekend i want to say it was you who said that i had a roller coaster over a weekend on a on a, one of the broadcasts because i went from i took second in the first workout and i took 48th in the next one and then I took 4th in the rock and then like 30 something on the sled. I was all over the place all weekend Um and uh I didn't let it really get to me. I stayed. My mentality was positive before the first workout, like immediately before. Sure, you have your jitters and everything, but like before it, I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to give it my best and what I get is what I get. And Then after the second workout, when I done play, I said, well, I didn't go great, but I'm going to go after tomorrow and I'm going to do what I do and see what happens. And things just continue to work. So I, I really do feel I didn't, the cuts, you know, or what they were, some people feel like they got screwed, or some people did better than they would have. And that's definitely the case. But I definitely feel like I got what I earned as well, like the work that I put in and to be strong mentally and stay consistent over it gave me a consistent and a pretty good result that I think lined up
0: with my level of fitness. What do you think the biggest difference between chandler smith right now and chandler smith one year ago is
1: a year ago so this is right during the middle of the open 2019 um well there's the obvious confidence part where i know that given the right set of conditions or i can i can compete with anybody in the world of the sport so the confidence is the biggest and most obvious one which i've talked about a decent amount but i think I'm just a little bit mature and acknowledging that there's some things that maybe I'm not as great at. And I reach out a lot better for, uh, for not only like physical help, but you know, like if I need a friend in a certain time, like, I don't think, I think the, the maybe a detriment of coming from where I came from is that like you are, you learn how capable you are, then you don't rely on other people as much as you should. But being a little bit further away from that, getting a little bit older, maybe not wiser, but like trying to be has uh, helped me, recognize my limitations and applying that to the sport has made me a better athlete. And I think it's like kind of trite to say that I'm a, a better person, but I've definitely have enough lessons learned from last year to where my approach for this season, regardless to what the results are, is going to be, it's going to be better comprehensively, like holistically than last year's. Maybe I'm not, uh, uh as much of an obsessive as I was about some things. Um, but I still think I've, that's the, like, it's all, it's all working towards me performing better. And um, it's also helping me be somebody who's giving back more and is better for other people to be around, which is more important than me. If I take 12th versus or 17th, I'm hoping, you know, still be top 20. That's what gets paid. But like, you know, 12th <laughs> versus 17th, that that's great that uh, it didn't work, but I'm in, a, I'm in a job where I'm able to make a difference, positively affect the lives of the guys I work with. Cause I'm in a better space and, Um, also be a resource for people who reach out to me as well. And I think that's more important than uh, than anything else. And I wouldn't have recognized that before. So,
0: You mentioned confidence. How did winning the Mayhem Classic help bolster that?
1: So again, it's always, it's it's temporary. I mentioned the concept of double thing. It's one I grapple with a lot where you like simultaneously believe two contradicting things at the same time. The old George Orwell 1984 thing where (laughs) like now that I've won Mayhem, I know that I can, is sanctional but also you allow enough of the haters coming in and telling you that there wasn't enough good people you didn't beat anybody but blah, blah, blah. you allow enough of that in to where you still feel hungry um i won mayhem hurt i haven't really gotten too far into the specifics of the injury but i was hurt going into it and managed to make it through and so i know like i know what i'm capable of if i'm healthy and even if i didn't get to fully express that i can have confidence from that but also Um, I allow, I've got a better relationship with allowing what other people say affect me, but only in a way that fuels me, not in a way that brings me down. So the confidence has increased, but it's at the same time, it hasn't grown enough to where I, uh, in past knowing that there's people who think it's not legitimate for what one reason or another. Mm -hmm.
0: What you were dealing with a hand injury at Mayhem Classic, correct? Yeah. Okay. I just want to clarify that. Uh, where is that right now as far as the healing process goes?
1: Um, it's getting close. I should have the splint off in the next week. I've, like, started to rehab it pretty um, aggressively as far as, like, and the times when it's out of the sprint. I've done nothing but swim, run, and squat for the last month and change. Um, and I had to drop out of Wadapalooza because of it, which is a super bummer because that's an awesome event where it give me a chance to, you know, maybe put some of the hitters to rest, but I hadn't, wasn't able to train for it. I have uh, West Coast coming up next month. And I'll be training through that, but I'm just hoping to go and be ready for, uh, really for the games, but also for Rogue because of how, you know, special that event is to me personally, like peaking for that and being trained up for that is kind of the, uh, the first priority right now, but until then staying busy with uh, some fun comps, doing like some team stuff with uh, the army warrior fitness team, um, doing some running stuff with old Hunter McIntyre and Hepner, and just in general, trying to be as ready as possible. So that way the, uh, when the time comes, I, um, I'm able to fully express my capacity at that point in time. I'm not limited by peaking at the wrong time or any other jazz. Like I am as ready as possible for the show because that's what matters.
0: Final question. What are you the most proud of when you look back on what you've accomplished so far during your career? I think I've—I uh,
1: this. I hope this doesn't sound corny—I've like— been a good representative of a professional athlete for all the groups that I get to represent. So like it's February, it's black history month. I've had a lot more people reach out and that's, this space isn't filled with a ton of people who look like I do. So that's important to me. Being a soldier is very important to me. It's the core of my identity for my entire adult life. Being a wrestler is important to me. Um, And there's other people who fit all these groups, but I also recognize that the intersection of Some of these groups like um, only occurs within me. Like maybe there's not another soldier out there who, and there's so that means there's not a soldier wrestler out there. And so I'm able to represent for a lot of groups. I don't think I've done anything to um, like negatively represent them. That's the most important thing. Like I always, all the lessons I learned from being around the pro athletes growing up, um, there were some things that they did well, some things that they didn't do, but I uh, came in, with um, this goal sheet that I made in 2015 when I was starting to get pretty competitive. And the whole first part of it was all related to things that weren't like, weren't specific goals. There was stuff on the other side, like, I want to squat 600 pounds and have a one minute frame and all this other jazz. I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought I was like, all right, linear progression will continue to occur. But all these other things I've been able to hold true to. Um, And even though some of them were misguided as far as like what my priorities were, um i've remained pretty true to myself and haven't done anything to negatively represent the people who are nice enough to believe in me or who i'm blessed enough to get to represent so that's what i'm most proud of
0: chandler listen man it is always an absolute pleasure to speak with you i appreciate you taking the time to do this best of luck moving forward and i hope the hand heals up quickly hey thanks sean i appreciate you having me thanks for allowing me Bye, Ron, for an hour Big thanks to Chandler Smith for taking the time to speak with me. He is one of the genuinely nicest people you will ever meet, and it is always a pleasure talking with him. If you want to follow him on social media, he is on Instagram. You can find him at BlackSmith, and that's Smith with three Fs. If you're a business owner who craves actionable advice that can move you closer to wealth, you got to pick up Chris Cooper's book, Founder, Farmer, Tinker Thief. It's available on Amazon now. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.